time to polish the crown. Winston Peters is kingmaker again. The final election vote count means New Zealand First is no longer a nice-to-have. It's a must-to-have for National to form a government. The party lost two seats in the final wash-up, meaning it is down to 48 MPs with Acts 11. It is still short of a majority. The overall head count in Parliament has expanded as well. Te Pāti Māori has snatched another two Māori electorate seats from Labour, creating an overhang of two seats. And after the Waikato by-election, the total number of MPs will be a chunky 123. National leader and incoming Prime Minister Christopher Luxon says the final count means he can accelerate negotiations toward a strong and stable government, but he can't give a time frame for delivery. While joining us now is our very own coalition of experts, former ACT MP and Minister Heather Roy, former New Zealand First MP and Minister Ron Mark, and former National Party General Manager Chris Simpson. Good evening to you all. Ron, can I start with you? Winston is a must-have now. How does that change things for National? Well, I think pretty much. I don't know if it changes anything. I think uh, deep down they knew that this is where it was going to land, and and it's pretty much. And and, and I I think uh, looking back in hindsight, the 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 language that's been used since the uh, election night till now has proven to be sound and sensible and helpful. So I think they knew this was coming. Uh, it just means that now they do have to. Probably the, 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 the more challenging space will be for ACT and you know, after all the rhetoric, um, coming to terms with reality and and coming you know, and realising that you have to work with other people you know, regardless of whether you despise them, dislike them, you know, learn to grow up and get over that and, and uh, do what's right for the country. Let's bring in Heather then, former ACT MP. So uh, David Seymour has told us he's had no conversations with Winston yet. He used the, the expression, I've reached out, but haven't heard anything back. What should we make of that? Uh, I wouldn't make too much of it at all. And look, David Seymour and his uh, media uh, stand-up today was actually quite conciliatory and statesmanlike, I thought, um, you know, he um, talked about stable government, the importance of delivering that, said that the voters had um, asked for a three-party government and that needed to be respected. Um, he did say that he had reached out to um, to New Zealand first but hadn't heard anything back. But look, I think that certainly the negotiations I was part of, it was always the big party who did all the reaching out and talking. Um, we, we weren't talking to the other smaller parties that made up government. And so I'm not, not at all surprised, really, uh, that they haven't had a conversation yet. But that they will now. Chris, yeah. who do you think has got the power here? Oh, definitely, definitely Winston in the sense of uh, they, the, you know, the, the centre-right act and national need them to form a government. Uh, at the same time, though, Winston's been, you know, it's not his first rodeo and uh, he he knows that it's got to be sensible. So picking up on Ron's, Ron's comments, uh, it's definitely not going to be stupid in any way, shape or form around the forming of the coalition. And also he's already quite, you know, outwardly said that he wants to do it sooner rather than later. And if you go back to 96, when it took nine weeks, we won't be in that situation again. So do you think that he is their only option? Are there any other viable options to um, prop up a national-led government? You've got Te Pāti Māori, who have now got six MPs. I mean, is there any other options, or is Winston it? Lisa, I mean, look at John Key. I always keep saying it, and I'm astonished that the media 
you know, didn't recognise us ages ago. The one astonishing thing about John Key's performance in 2008 is he picked up a deal with the Greens, with the Māori Party, the United Future, the ACT Party, and left Labour totally in isolation, thoroughly ineffective in opposition. Now, I don't know that people have positioned themselves in that space. The Greens made it, you know, were very emphatic and very clear that they couldn't work with uh, National, and the Māori Party were the same. And so if anyone's sidelined in the discussions, it's probably those two parties who shouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be, if they'd chosen to take a, a slightly different approach, um, both yeah, for the I, voters plus the, the public. Yeah, that, I, I agree with Ron. I think that he's absolutely right. I think that you know, if Te Party Māori were smart, they would be talking to National about areas of commonality where they could make some significant gains. Their competition, and it's been highlighted today with, with gaining an extra two seats, are actually Labour. And if they want to be a strong standalone party um, bringing uh, policy initiatives forward that will uh, benefit their people, uh, they need to be part of government doing that. And you just, when you look at the 2008 uh, um, government, Tarariana Turia and Peter Sharples actually got significant gains for their people from being part of that government. So I agree with Ron's comments. You know, I, I, yeah, I also agree in the sense of you look at the Party Māori, and if you look at Article 2 of the treaty in the sense of Tino Rinka Teratanga, you get into the world of private property rights, which is not anathema to the National Party or Act or New Zealand First in any way, shape or form. Uh, however, they all seem to have ruled themselves out during the election campaign, which is not particularly smart. We got an insight today, Chris, into what David Seymour would like if he got to choose. He talked about law and order being the portfolios he's interested in, something around the economy, something around regulation. And then tonight he told us education too. So the list mm. is growing. And he also said that he quite he wants to be in cabinet and he feels that their result puts them there at the table. Chris, does he need to temper his expectations or do you think that's realistic? Oh, no, he shouldn't temper his expectations. He's a politician after all. He should definitely shoot, shoot for the moon. <laughs> however, however, when, when Winston and, and John Luxon start, uh, Chris Luxon start uh, talking about what the realities are, then it is, OK, who's, who's going to get what and, and divvying it up? So, But good on him for you know, shooting for the moon. Can't fault him on that. Heather, when you talked about before how you negotiated with the, with the senior partner, in in, mm, um, mm. in the coalition or confidence and supply arrangement and you didn't talk to the others. Did you know in advance what they were getting? No. Uh, no, we didn't. There were d discussions all the time and things changed quickly. That was a, the, my lasting memory. You know, you thought you had an agreement about something in the morning and by the afternoon things had, sw had moved a bit. So, look, it's, it's, there's a lot of moving parts in these discussions. We didn't really know until close to the end uh, what, what others would get. Um, but, look, you've got your own policy initiatives and those are the discussions you want to be having, not trying to second-guess what everybody else might get. Yeah, that's right. Ron, can you tell mm. us about um, Winston Peters' negotiating style? Well, I think I've said before, you know, everyone seems to think he does it all. He doesn't. You know, there's people like me sitting in there. He has people like Shane and all the different portfolio holders come in to do their piece, and they may have six or, six or seven different portfolios to, to negotiate and to discuss. You know, like I said, we had 67 portfolios, 980 policy statements that we went through with both National and both Labor. So Winston chairs it, Winston moderates it, but everybody knows what the manifesto reads. They've negotiated that with the party and with their colleagues prior 
prior to the election, you know what your policies are of importance are, and and you go in to get what you can. But you've got to be sensible. You do a shortlist, and then you do a, a, a must-have, good-to-have, nice-to-have sort of breakdown, and, and you go in and you negotiate. And I nego- negotiated my stuff. So did Shane, so did Tracy, so, so did Derek, so did Clayton, so... I don't know what other people do, whether they just leave to the leader to do it all on his own, but that certainly wasn't uh, my experience working with National. They brought in their portfolio holders, and they also, uh, Labor in particular, would rolled in people like um, Mike Moore and, and, uh, and um, oh, you know, Michael Cullen uh, on, to, to help build the confidence across the table. So each party has their own different way of doing it. Ron, because you're not going to be in the room this time round, I'm picking, who do you think will be in there? negotiating for New Zealand first? Oh, look, I think it's pretty, you know, the, you can see the top tier right now. Um, you know, the people who are experienced, Shane's experience, Winston clearly <laughs> going to be there. You know, you've got his, his trusted chief of staff um, and, yeah, and probably likely to be Derek Ball. Um, you know, that, they'll, be, they'll be the hinges, but the, you, you can take from me that the new MPs will be expected to front their portfolios and there will be pre-negotiation discussions, negotiation, post-negotiation debrief, and that's the way it rolls. And then people will be checking the minutes and the notes of what they took against the other party to ensure that what both sides recorded was the same and the agreements and understanding were clear, and then you go back. So that's because that's the information you've got to take back to your caucus. Ron, what, what's Winston Peters going to want for himself in terms of portfolios, do you think? Well... I'm not going to say. And I've, oh, I've got come a, on, Ron. <laughs> come on. Don't be a tease. Tell us. You know the areas where he's performed with, uh, with distinction. The world knows that. Okay, well, let me ask the others then. What portfolios do you reckon he's going to be after, Chris? Well, if you, if you go back and, and see where he has actually performed well uh, when he was the... Um, uh, the the finance minister and sorry the treasurer Treasure, and, he, yeah. and mm-hmm. he and and going back to ninety six uh, and having a good two IC in the sense of Bill Birch as the finance minister. Uh, but definitely if, if you go back to New Zealand first's policies he really does want to make sure that we're economically uh, sound. He doesn't want uh, 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 sort of government spending to go beyond 160 billion. He wants he wants to make sure that we're following the likes of Singapore and the Celtic Tigers uh, in Ireland et al. and being a lot more sensible. And 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 you're balancing out where he's been very clear in this campaign that the economy is stuffed under Labour. We've got to change it. Uh, regarding whether he should be foreign affairs minister uh, and if he wants to do a lot of travel, that, that's a different conversation. But they've also got New Zealand first to have a free trade agreement with America. So you reckon and he's going to want economy or finance related portfolios well, you, you then? Want something, you want something chunky so that when you, when you go out there and talk on the international stage, you're respected. And, and, and so be it. So that's where the bit where David, David Crisson and Winston have to have that serious conversation. Well, they're big, they're big trophy portfolios, aren't they? And, and, yep. and Chris yep. Luxon has said all along, and this is one of the few things that he seems to be not negotiable on, is Finance Minister Nicola Willis. So your option then is to create something above her, which is exactly so, what so, Jim Bolter so, did. So, yeah, so, so in 1996, that, that was the position, and half an hour before he announced it on TV, Tohanare ended up on the ninth floor and said, we want Treasurer, and Bolger looked at Birch and said, yeah, OK, made, made Birch basically finance minister. So you can have two, two roles in that. 
So you have, as I said, you have one that's that's out there pushing really hard, and you have one that does the work as well. So it's not. Yeah. It's, not yeah. it's been, Heather, it's been done you, before. Yeah. yeah. Yes, how do you right. juggle that, Heather? When you were going to have people within your own party, within National Party, who are senior MPs or who have worked very hard and anticipate they're getting certain portfolios, and I'm thinking potentially a around finance, potentially education, and also yes. a couple of senior National MPs who probably think they're sitting sweet for um, foreign affairs minister. Yeah, no, there's, there's all of that to juggle. And when I talked about those moving parts before, I think that's probably the hardest part of the moving parts to deal with because you're right, you've got senior MPs who thought they were possibly um, going to get or, or certain to get um, particular portfolios or any portfolios at all. I think today, what today's revol- uh, result will end up with is a significant um, concessions for both ACT and for New Zealand First, which will mean there'll be some sacrifices within the senior ranks within the National Party. And so th- th- that, those, that unhappiness will have to be, um, be dealt with as well. Right. Yeah, that's the area where in 1998 that those levels of dissatisfaction played out. When you yes. had grumpy people yeah. sitting in the back benches of National who believed that they should have got a portfolio and Tuariki Dalamere shouldn't have and Deborah Morris should not have, and that all played out and that fueled that, uh, that the push for Jenny Shipley and and, and you know, helped her take out Bolger, take over the coalition and ultimately destroy it. There's the danger. How can Chris, yeah. uh, Chris's ability to manage the expectations of his uh, MPs, get on board the people he desperately needs, he really needs in the, at the cabinet table, and find ways of you know managing managing the disappointments and yeah. and but continue that for three years. I think there are ways to manage that, though. And New Zealand has never really made very good use of undersecretaries. And that is a way of rewarding people and elevating them beyond backbench status and giving them some skin in the game. And, um, you know, I've got no inclination. I don't know whether that's a possibility here. But I do think that's a way of involving more people in the process. And that's, that's exactly right. That's where Bill English came mm. in as an undersecretary back, back in the 96. Mm. So, uh, sorry, um, uh, before that. So you make use of that. Coming back to, to Ron's point, the, the rub is, is that, you know, Chris Luxon will say, well, I'm the Prime Minister, but Winston, fair enough, I'll give you something meaty, but I want discipline so that we don't all fall apart in the next three years. And then you kind of look at where New Zealand First says they want a, a binding referendum in the 2026 election around a four-year term which would be good for smaller parties. So there needs to be a lot more discipline. That's where the whips also come into, uh, into play. Speaking of discipline and getting on together, Chris, do you think that both of those um, support parties, ACT and New Zealand First, can be in Cabinet? Oh, absolutely. I don't, don't see any reason why they can't be, because as, as, as Heather said, you know, there's got to be a lot of give and take. And and behind mm. the scenes, so behind the scenes when you're actually in Parliament, and if I look at Ron and I in 96, Ron kicked me out of my personal office to take it over as a senior whip, and I gladly gave it up, and we all worked, and we all worked really well together. So there's a, there's a reality of what goes on behind the scenes too. Ron, yeah. can, I, can I they both be in there? Sorry? Can, can both ACT and New Zealand First be sitting at the Cabinet table and not blow apart? Well, look, you know, I've worked a bit with David, and, and whilst I know he made some pretty sarcastic comments about me in early days in Parliament, I've seen him, and, and I believe that he 
is capable of managing his party well, his caucus well, and I believe that uh, the three of them, between Winston and Luxon and uh, and David, can can actually get together. It's it's it's. Why won't well, Winston take his calls then, Ron? Why not just pick up the phone and have a yarn so that when David Seymour comes out, he can at least say, "Yep, I've had a chat to well, Winston. We're on the same page." I have no knowledge of whether David's rang or not, so I can't comment on that. But it's look, it's. And Heather's quite right. Traditionally, the major party has managed the negotiations with the other parties. And we did not get ourselves into a a debate with Labour over what they were giving the alliance or offering the alliance back in 1996. And we certainly didn't get into that debate with uh, Jacinda over what they were going to offer the Greens. Heather... In, ter- mm. in terms of ministerial positions, do you see Brooke Van Velden holding a, a significant portfolio? Yes, I do. And look, just to come back to your former your point, can they all sit around the cabinet table? Mm. I think they can. Uh, and David Seymour really said as much in his media stand-up today. Um, he was asked if he would, and he said that he would sit around a cabinet table with New Zealand First. So I think that's a significant movement from him. That's not what he was saying uh, pre-election, but is now. But yes, um, I do think that Brooke Van Velden can expect significant portfolio and I think that some of the other high-ranking MPs can expect uh, pretty good portfolios so too. So straight I to think minister it, level rather than undersecretary as you were talking about yes, before? Yes, yeah. I do. I mean look they've got um, they've got 11 seats, 8.7% of the vote I think they deserve more than a couple of ministers, they deserve several and there's uh, when David talked about today the um, areas that he wants input into, um, he mentioned about five so I think they'll be pushing hard for as much as they can possibly get and look I think education has always been very, very important to act. I think they will be pushing hard for something in that space. Probably they'll try for the education minister, but they'll at least get an associate. Chris, um, Yeah, sorry. Oh, you go. Chris, I'm just wondering how many portfolios do you think is appropriate for, for act ministerial positions? Well, I think based on their vote, you're probably looking around that four mark. So, you know, probably get, you know, probably get five. That's... And that but, leaves mm, New Zealand first with but, how many? But, 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 okay, but you've got to come back to how big is the cabinet going to be. So coming back to how many do you include to try to keep the discipline and everyone's a winner, that's a different conversation. Well, what is the magic number in your view then, Chris? Oh, well, well, again, you know, putting me on the spot on that sort of thing would be mm. hard when you don't know how many you've got to keep, keep on board and what deals you've got to, you've got to do. It's, it's a difficult one. Right. Everyone's a winner. Ron, how do you um, see the numbers um, working out in terms of ministerial positions? Well, like, it's, uh, like uh, both Heather and, and Chris have said, this is a question of how many associate ministers you're going to have, how many undersecretaries you're going to have, how many how many of your, your uh, caucus are going to be happy taking a chair of a select committee uh, for one year or three years, uh, how many ministers you actually want to have at the table. You've got to think about the public's response and reaction to all of these extra limousines and all of these extra ministerial... So there's a few things that are going to be juggled around inside their offices, and some of it's going to come down to public palate and... and and the media and how it's going to respond to so many things. So one of the things I do know is that it is not smart to overload ministers with portfolios. 
and you've seen ministers crash and burn in the last three years. You've seen ministers who, who you know, leafly trumpet that I've got six portfolios and then do a lousy job because there's no way they can read all the information. So I had two, and I was offered more, and I said, no, thank you. I'm happy to stay with two because I can do two properly. Um, and it's going to come down to a judgment call on the Prime Minister. You're going to load someone up with five portfolios, six portfolios, or you're going to break it down and have two ministers doing three each. Chris, you know, when it, not as simple as you think. Chris, when it comes to policy trade-offs, right, I mean, how, uh, how easy is that to do? When you think, for example, say National is wanting to put more money into cancer drugs, right, and in order to do that, it's saying it's going to stop universal free prescriptions, which is something New Zealand First is wanting. My point here is that if you give New Zealand First what it wants, then National doesn't have the money to pay for the cancer drugs that it's promised in its policy. So, you know, how can you pay the piper and still deliver on your promises during the election campaign? Well, well it comes, again, it comes back to, if you if you look at, so if, if New Zealand first are more and more in the driving seat, it comes back to where they're sensible on uh, the economy. And if they're moving into a, if, if Winston is saying, hey, we need to be like the Irish, we need to be like like the, uh, the Singaporean economy, it's how you grow the economy and how you grow GDP. And then you get into a conversation about what what does that look like rather than just complete cutting at the same time you know being very careful about what they do spend on but you'll you'll see you'll see national move on a whole lot of stuff that they'll just say well that's really rats and mice with regards to uh, uh just getting the big stuff across the line so what you hear what you hear in a campaign is quite different to what you'll see in the policies yeah. right we're almost out of time so i'm going to go around you all short answer please what mp in this Whatever formation this government takes, will you be watching? One to watch, please. Heather. Oh, gosh, all of them. But I will be very interested to see what Brooke Van Velden gets. Chris? Oh, Winston, for sure. <laughs> the new MP <laughs> that you'll be watching. OK. Yeah, he's, Ron? He's, he's new back again. Ron, who will be keeping your eye on? Uh, well, it's going to be a coin toss between Andy Foster and Casey Costello. I'm, going to go, I'm, I'm interested to see where Casey Costello ends up. Thank you all for joining us. Really appreciate it. That was Heather Roy, former ACT MP and Minister Ron Mark, former uh, MP and Minister in New Zealand First, and Chris Simpson, the former National Party General Manager there, uh, talking about, wow, Winston is a necessity now, not just a nice to have, and negotiations continue. Chris Luxon says he's accelerating things, but can't say when we'll have a government.